opportunity this morning to enjoy an update from one of our missionaries, but not just one of the missionaries that our church supports. It's Chris Burkholz, a missionary our church, as uh, a sending church, supports, you might say, on a much deeper level than the other missionaries that we are partnering with. Chris Burkholz is the um, director, the overseer of Go Honduras. Our church actually takes a missions trip down to Honduras every summer, looking to do so again. At the end of July, we'll have some more details on that. If you'd like to come and see the ministry work down there in Honduras, you'll have an opportunity again this year to do so. But Chris, come on up here, brother. We love you. So glad you're here. Give us an update on the ministry down there in Honduras. Thank you. All right, what a blessing it is to be back. It was such a delight to walk into the church this morning and have so many people greet me by name, and I'm just glad to be here at my home church. I'm your least faithful attender, uh, hopefully not your least faithful member, but your least faithful attender, but what a blessing it is to be here. Your auditorium looks beautiful. I came in with a coffee cup, and I felt guilty as soon as I saw the new carpet, but uh, praise the Lord, blessing to be with you all today. And uh, I'm excited for what the Lord's doing here at Meriden Hills Baptist Church. This past year, this summer, I've been traveling some to raise some more support for the ministry. And praise the Lord, my support level's back to where it needs to be, just about exactly where I, where I said this is the minimum I have to be at the end of the year. I'm just about there. So praise the Lord for that. This year is going to be so much going on. There's a lot going on in Honduras this year, and I want your prayers for that. We're starting a, a second church in the Mountain Lord Willing and, and some transition on the property this year. We've got some new kids that have come in. We've got some other kids that might be moving out, and a lot going on. If you can come on a mission trip this year, this is the year to come. It's going to be an incredible time uh, uh, for, for a lot of reasons this year. So please, if you can come this year, come to Honduras. And uh, if you want to get involved in any way, feel free to do that. Uh, you can add me on Facebook and ask me any questions you have. I know y'all have been giving towards the project for the house uh, that we're building for uh, Pastor Edwin. And uh, before I, I just got here on the 25th, I flew into the States. And uh, right before I flew in, we finished the roof on that house. And uh, we've, we've given the list of all the materials we need for the electric uh, to be installed next. And uh, we got somebody that's going to install that at cost. So there are no labor charges on that, just the cost of the materials. So that, praise the Lord for that. And uh, we, we need somebody to do welding. If you want to fly down and do some welding, come on down. Um, I'll, I'll tell you this. I don't want to be long, but uh, thank you for your prayers. I drove. See, missionaries have to be a little crazy. You can't, most people that are missionaries are just a little odd, and I, I, I qualify. I got somebody that said, hey, do you want this 15-passenger van for the ministry in Honduras? And I said, absolutely. I'll drive it down there. And he said, I was kind of joking. Are you serious? Would you take it down there? And I said, if you're serious about giving me this old van, I will drive it down to Honduras. So last month, I, I picked up this 15-passenger van uh, from a family that had been traveling in evangelism. They've got a lot of kids, and he just took a church. And uh, so they gave us this, this uh, it's a 2000 Chevy Express van. And uh, I drove it all the way down to Honduras last month. That was an experience. I'd never driven all the way through Mexico and all the way through Guatemala and dealt with... Uh, uh, border guards that were uh, maybe not quite as honest as they should have been a couple times. But praise the Lord, what an experience. Uh, we were able to bring some things that we wouldn't normally bring down, some Bibles and things we can pass out as well. And uh, I'm ready to do it again. So if anybody has an old van that you don't want, let me know. But uh, serving the Lord is never boring. And uh, God is faithful. And there's nothing I'd rather do with my life than, than serve, serve God and let people know there's a God in heaven that loves them. So thank you for your prayers, and good to see y'all. I'll be around a little bit after the service if you want to say hi, and, and uh, thank you for praying for our ministry. Thank you. I, I was uh, keeping track of Chris as he was giving us updates. I, I thought that was wise of you, Chris. So if we lost track of you, we know what country we lost you in. 
So Chris was giving video and picture updates of his journey down to Honduras, and you had a, you didn't give the full details. There was a couple of mishaps. It was more than the border guards. The vehicle wasn't as great as you had hoped it was. And everything broke down. <laughs> the engine died. You had issues with the windows. I mean, it is a Chevy, man. You should have expected that. You should have known that was coming. I'm sorry. <laughs> Guys, that's philosophical. It's not theological. Don't worry, all right? You can be a Chevy person and still be saved. It's okay. All right. Let's turn to Romans chapter 8. Well, maybe, and hopefully you did, get my outline this morning. If you did not, there should be some left in the lobby. Feel free to stand right up right now. Go in the lobby. No one's going to be distracted by that. Grab them off the tables. Uh, someone said, is this a New Year's resolution? I said, well, it's a trial run. I'm going to see if you folks like this enough for me to keep doing it. It's a, it's a small matter for me to put my outline on a handout and then, you know, put some lines on the back for notes. If it's something you enjoy, I'm happy to do it. I don't want it to be a distraction. Uh, sometimes things in our hands can be a distraction, but if you feel like this is actually enhancing your opportunity to learn Scripture and to remember it and to take it home and to dwell on it, I am more than happy to keep doing this. The only way I'm going to know that is if you tell me. So if you just come up and say, hey, Russ, I really did enjoy the outline. Can you keep doing that? I get enough people tell me that, then we'll keep doing the outline. Now, if I have the flip side and said, please don't ever do that again, it was horrible. My spouse the whole time was, you know, filling in all the circles and all of the P's and the O's, you know, then I will stop doing it. So I need to know how it goes with you guys. But um, this is an easy thing. Happy to do it if it's helpful. Let's take a look at Romans chapter 8 now. And we're going to be not reading all of verses 1 through 13. I will read some of them and then we'll look at the rest throughout the morning as we continue in this passage of Scripture. Verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son capital S, Jesus Christ, God the Son, in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. All right, I had uh, considered, the, the, the whole Bible was open to me this morning. I'm not in the middle of a series. I'm not in the middle of a holiday season where I need to, you know, where I, I feel some, some desire to maybe follow a Christmas theme or an Easter theme. Yeah, I get it. A lot of pastors the last Sunday of, of December want to preach on a New Year's resolution. Honestly, I'm not really big on New Year's resolutions. I feel like that's a cop-out. Uh, New Year's resolutions gives the impression that you should only be making resolutions once a year, and we often don't follow those. I'm more of the guy of, Let's make resolutions throughout the year and actually, you know, make resolutions that are attainable and then attain them, not some high pie in the sky thing that we're going to claim we do, which we all know we're not going to do. So this is not a New Year's resolution message. I was considering, Lord, what would you have me to teach? There's so many things I could teach. Uh, and God laid in my heart, essentially, salvation. Now, I could preach a salvation message purely just the, the steps to salvation, how to be saved, done that, and I will do it again. I had considered doing that today. Instead, God took me a different direction to, you might say, clarify salvation. Now, as I clarify salvation, there will be in this message this morning uh, how to be saved, but it will not be purely the steps to salvation. And let's start with this. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, read it again, this time on your own. This verse 
is so very powerful to those who understand what he was saying, and yet so very discouraging to those who do not. (laughs) Verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. There is a common way to view this verse. It is common, but not biblical. I'm going to explain to you the first way, how it is often viewed, and that brings discouragement to Christians, to believers, to those who attend church, want to do right. This is how they usually view that verse. There is no condemnation. That word condemnation means judgment. Now, it can either view, be viewed as, as, as judgment now or eternal judgment. I view the verse as eternal judgment. This whole text is talking about God's condemnation on sin, God's judgment on sin, which is eternal judgment, eternal condemnation. And so God is saying, essentially, there is no eternal judgment for those who walk not after the flesh, but in the Spirit. Now, that's the tricky part. What does that mean? What do those two phrases mean? The first phrase, walk in the flesh. The second phrase, walk in the Spirit. Because if you do not understand the definition of those two phrases, you can be extremely concerned about your eternal future. If we're talking about eternal condemnation or the lack thereof, we're essentially, obviously, talking about salvation. Are you saved? Are you saved from the eternal condemnation that is on the shoulders of all who do not accept Christ by faith. Now, we get the idea that faith is required for salvation. I I think most people who go to church understand, look, even those who follow other religions, those of you who've come from Catholicism, you would have been told that salvation includes faith, but you would have been told faith and, faith but, faith with there would be other things that would be included with that faith. Those of you that came from the, the Pentecostal religion, you would have been told, yes, you've got to have faith, but you also have to, and, they would, and a list of things. You have to go to church, and you have to be a good person, and, and all these works would be included with faith. You see, there's not a lot of evangelical religions or denominations that, re, that remove faith from the gospel, but there's a whole lot that although they keep faith, they just put a whole lot more stuff in there. And they use verses like Romans 8, 1 to do so. And they say, well, look, I mean, if you are walking in the flesh, are you really even saved? And then they go on to list what walking in the flesh looks like. Now, there is some biblical reference to the works of the flesh. And we're told the works of the flesh in other passages of Scripture listed out are some pretty horrible things. I'm not going to get into that list because today is not about that list. But you get the idea. You come from a background. You come from a religion. You come from a belief system that says if you do any of these things, then you are walking in the flesh. Now, I want to first of all clarify. You go back to that passage that that gives that list of the works of the flesh. This is not saying the works of the flesh. It's saying walking in the flesh. Now, I, I understand they're not exactly the same but similar, but that is a big difference, the works of the flesh and walking in the flesh. Now, often the connection is made for you and said, well, if you're doing the works of the flesh, then you are walking in the flesh. And, and that bridge is gap for, that gap is bridged for you where you now have the conclusion that if I do any works of the flesh, I am walking the flesh, therefore I am in condemnation. That's the domino effect. That's where you're led by religions, by denominations, who essentially want you to believe that it's faith plus something else, faith and something else. And if you are doing any of the works of the flesh, then you are also walking in the flesh And therefore, you are eternally condemned. Now, that's, again, that's the common understanding of this passage, not what I believe is the case. Let's look at the walking in the Spirit. So if you believe walking in the flesh is doing the works of the flesh, then walking in the Spirit would not be doing the works of the flesh. 
walking in the spirit would be some form of perfection, some form of almost holiness, if not outright holiness. You no longer lie. You are no longer prideful. You never uh, have wrath on someone unjustly. Uh, you, 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 uh, you never uh, treat someone unkindly. You always love. You always live a holy and just life, right? So walking in the spirit is essentially becoming as perfect as you can be on this earth. Now, here's the problem. Well, there's a lot of them, but here's one problem with that interpretation. Those of you who've come from that background, you know this is how it works. You go from walking in the spirit to walking in the flesh to walking in the spirit to walking in the flesh, and you are constantly living in guilt, wanting to be here, but knowing deep down you're actually here, at least as defined by the spiritual leaders in your life. Because there's no one who can be honest with themselves and say, I am constantly, all day, every day, here, walking in the Spirit, never doing the works of the flesh. You you can't honestly state that. You can't honestly believe that. In fact, it's hard for you to believe that the spiritual leader teaching this claims that they are doing that. You want to believe it because you want to believe that someone can attain that, only to be completely discouraged when you find out months or years later that spiritual leader who's been preaching, walking in the Spirit, comes to find out has been living in adultery, has been stealing from the church. And now you're saying, wait a second. They've been calling me out because I go back and forth. They've been in uh, living a lie all this time. Can anyone walk in the Spirit? Not as defined by these religions and denominations, not as defined, but I just told you, it's impossible. That cannot be the definition. Now, I'm not going to give you the definition just because I want it to be. I'm going to give you the definition of these two things because God's word defines it for us. In fact, let's go ahead and look to God's word. And in Romans chapter 8, We're going to find what is the definition of walking in the Spirit. Go ahead and look at verse 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that you do always good things all the time. If you obey the Old Testament law, if you are baptized, if you attend church, If you tithe, right? Those are all the definitions given to you of walking in the Spirit. What does God's Word actually say? It says this. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. There it is. Walking in the Spirit is not what you do, but who you're with. Now these spiritual leaders, these preachers would say, but if you are with the Spirit... You will not do things against the Spirit. And I can know who's with the Spirit by what you do. Uh, But again, they're giving you a definition that's not in Scripture. Let's actually read what the Scripture gives us as a definition. Verse number 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity, or you're an enemy against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, we just read verse 9. Go to verse 10. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of what? Sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. What does verse 10 tell us? Verse 10 tells us that even though you're walking in the spirit, and that's not what you do with who you're with, your body is still in sin. Which means 
you are walking with the Spirit, it's who you're with, but you're still sinning. Now that bothers you, and it should. The Christian should be bothered by sin. The Christian should be concerned by sin. But let's not be so bothered and so concerned that we change definitions that God has clearly given us. Walking in the flesh is essentially saying, I refuse to walk with the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit is only saying, I'm with God. That does not eliminate sin from your life. Verse 10 tells us you still live in the body of sin and will until you die or are raptured. You will be in this body of sin for the rest of your existence on this earth, which means never, ever, ever will you attain bodily perfection even while walking in the Spirit, which also means you can walk in the Spirit, you will walk in the Spirit, and you still will sin. Now, there are those who said, well, if that's the case, then why bother even trying to do what's right? Why bother even trying to walk away from sin? If walking in the Spirit is merely who I'm with, not what I do, then why bother trying to do what's right? The Apostle Paul deals with this as well in another passage of Scripture, and he says, God forbid, God forbid that you should come to that conclusion, that just because you are saved and grace is on your life, that you can live your life however you want. God forbid. That's a very ungodly way to see yourself, because you should be bothered by sin. Now, we're going to be working through this text, but I'll give you the final conclusion. It's actually on the notes. It comes to this. If you're bothered by sin, do something about it, but not out of obligation, out of appreciation. That's that last point on the notes. We'll get to it. So here we go. Number one, Roman numeral one, no judgment. Roman numeral number two, walking in the flesh. And number three, walking in the spirit. We're basically going to break down these three parts of not how to be saved, but to better understand what salvation is. So in Roman numeral number one, I see letter, uh, letter A, verses one through four, letter A, eternal judgment is removed from those who embrace Christ through faith and walk in the Spirit. Now, the word faith is not used in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It's used throughout Scripture and other passages when it refers to salvation, that you cannot be saved outside of faith. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. And then we're told throughout more than one time that the just walk by faith. So we know that salvation comes by faith. As I told you, most religions, evangelical and denominations, do not remove faith. It's too obvious throughout Scripture that faith is a part of salvation. What they want to do is include more onto salvation than just faith. So the, the debate here is not, should faith be part of our salvation? We know that it is. Eternal judgment is removed by, from those who embrace Christ through faith and walk in the Spirit, verse 1. So I kind of gave my introduction, and in my introduction explained that point. Let's go to letter B. Our struggle to obey the law does not bring salvation, but death. Verse 2, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ, in faith, Jesus, hath made me free from the law of sin and death. So what is the law of sin and death? Well, you could come to the conclusion that the law of sin and death is the works of the flesh, and it's the things that we do against God. Except when you read Romans chapter 7, I've put those verses there. For sake of time, I'm not going to read them, but you can read them on your, on your own, Romans 7, 5, and 6. The apostle Paul defines the works of the law, and it is not the works of the flesh. The works of the law is literally the Old Testament law. The apostle Paul is basically saying this. If you are attempting to get to heaven by obeying the Old Testament law, you will only die and you will die the eternal death. 
You will not be saved. You will not get saved. You will not stay saved by any attempt because it will only be an attempt. No man, no woman can perfectly obey the law all the time. So it can purely be an attempt. And your attempt to obey the works of the law, Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't matter. Any attempt, even good attempts, even almost near perfect attempts, doesn't matter how good your attempt is, is only an attempt and only results in death. Obedience to the law cannot save you. You say, well, Pastor Russ, I don't live in obedience to the law. I live in obedience to God. That's how I'm saved. Okay, well, let's break this down. You say obedience to God. What exactly is it you're doing? Well, I'm doing what God told me. Where? In the Bible. Where? In the law. Okay, so it's obedience to the law. Right? You're calling it something different, but it's the same thing. Because it sounds better in your ears that, well, I'm not an obeyer of the Old Testament law. I just obey God, and that's why I'm saved. That, the Old Testament law is God's word. And God did not give it to us to save us. God gave us the Old Testament law to direct us to who can save us. Because the law cannot. You see, the Old Testament law is essentially God making it very clear to you that you're not good enough to do it on your own. And if you're honest with yourself, you'll recognize that the efforts to obey the law can only be attempts at best and not even very good ones. And you'll say, well, that didn't work. What's next? And God says, not what's next, who's next? All right, you tried the law. I gave it to you to show you you couldn't make it. Now, let me introduce you to who can save you because what couldn't save you? The law. What couldn't, who can? The law only leads to death. And your efforts to obey it only lead to death. By the way, eternal death, but unfortunately, until you get to that point of death and hell, you will live a life of discouragement and depression. You will live a life of guilt. You will live a life of constant failure. Because you will think the only way to heaven is faith plus something. You'll probably include works. And you'll see, you just can't do it. It's not possible. Condemnation is on all of those who are not with the Spirit. Verse 1. You need to be with the Spirit. And how do you gain access to the Spirit? How do you join in fellowship with God the Spirit? Through God the Son. And how is it that God the Son brings you to the Spirit? Well, actually what happens is God the Son brings the Spirit to you, which is really great. You don't actually have to make the effort to travel to the Spirit. He comes to you. So how is it that God the Son brings God the Spirit to you so you are with him and therefore condemnation is removed from you? It's faith in Christ alone, not works. Verse 2 says if you go the route of works, you're dead. You're not with the Spirit because the Spirit comes to you only when you come to Christ in faith. When you come to Christ with works, you didn't actually come to Christ. And the Holy Spirit's not going to come to you. And you are not with him. And he's not with you. You are in condemnation. Letter C. Perfection cannot be found in obedience to the law. It is given to us by Christ. Verse 3. For what the law could not do, what law? The Old Testament law. It was weak through the flesh. Now, the law is not the problem. We are the problem. The law was not weak because it's a bad law. Of course, it's God's law. It's perfect. But when a perfect law is given to an imperfect person, that's the problem. 
The Bible gives this interesting illustration in the Old Testament of casting your pearl before swine. What does that mean? Basically putting a pearl necklace on a pig. The issue is not the pearl necklace. The issue is the pig wearing the pearl necklace and where the pig is taking the pearl necklace. Right? The pig doesn't care about the pearl necklace. The pig isn't going to change its lifestyle because of the pearl necklace. Now it's a pearl necklace that is full of feces and mud and nastiness because it's worn by the pig. The law doesn't taint us. We taint it in our effort to follow it. We can't do so. The law is perfect. Our flesh is weak. And there is no person aside from Christ who will ever be able to perfectly follow the perfect law. And so God goes on to say in verses 3 and 4, he does want to take the perfection of the law and give it to you, but it can't be received through the law, ironically. God's essentially going to take the perfection of the law, remove it from the law, place it on us outside of the law through faith. Verse 3, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. God conquered sin. God broke sin. God had victory over sin and is offering you the victory he had. You see, you don't have victory over sin because you obey the law. That path leads to death. You have victory over sin because God is the law. God broke sin. God received the medal and says, here, wear this. You're wearing the medal of completing the 5K and you didn't run a lap. Christ did and gave you the medal. Christ ran the marathon and gave you the medal. And you say, well, well, yeah, I got the medal, but now that I'm a Christian, now I have to run the marathon. And now I'm going to stay saved if I run the marathon with Christ. Except again, you can't. You will not complete the marathon successfully, perfectly. The medal on you that you're wearing, salvation, is the gospel given to you when you place your faith in Christ. Not when you obey the law. Verse 4. That the righteousness of the law, the perfection of the law, it is there. If you were born perfect, and if you did perfectly obey the law, then you would go to heaven when you died. Unfortunately, you're not born perfect, and unfortunately, you can't obey it perfectly. But the law is perfect. The law is righteous. And the righteousness of the law, we're told in verse 4, might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And again, those who think walking after the Spirit is obedience to the law completely changes and flips verse 4 on its head. It says, you are given the righteousness of the law when you do not walk after the flesh, but after the Spirit. If you think walking after the flesh is just the works of the flesh and walking after the Spirit is obeying the law, then you are changing the whole theology of verse 4. You are saying you receive the righteousness of the law when you obey the law. That's what you'd have to say if you think walking in the Spirit is obedience to the law. And yet verses 1 through 3 told us the exact opposite of that. Romans 7, 5 and 6 tells us the opposite of that. Walking in the Spirit cannot be doing the works of the law. You are given the righteousness of the law purely by Christ saying, I offer it to you because you have faith in me, not because you follow the law. No condemnation to those who walk in the Spirit. The life that the Holy Spirit wants to give you, he wants to give you. He doesn't need you to earn it. He doesn't ask you to earn it, and you can't earn it. Any effort to obey the law falls under, are you ready for this? Works of the flesh. You see, 
Walking in the flesh is not purely just sinful actions, sinful behaviors that we see as immoral. Walking in the flesh is not purely lying and deceit and murders and hatred. It's not purely that, although it includes those things. Walking in the flesh is any effort to do anything, whether you think good or bad, outside of the Holy Spirit. Walking in the flesh is even including including the effort to obey the law rather than walking in the Spirit. So it comes down to this. Those who think they are earning their way to heaven through good works are actually walking in the flesh. Just like those who are murdering and could care less about God who are walking in the flesh. You see, you got a crowd of people walking in the flesh and they don't all look the same. And they're not all doing the same thing. Some of those walking in the flesh are outright reprobate, living in, in horrible sins that are a detriment to humanity. But some of them think they are the saviors of humanity. Some of them think they are the ones all of humanity should look to as an example. We are the righteous. We are the holy. We are the elite. We are the religious. But the truth is this. They're all walking in the flesh. Because walking in the flesh isn't defined so much by what you do as it is by who you're not with. Because if walking in the Spirit is defined by I'm with the Holy Spirit, then walking in the flesh is I'm not with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter what you're doing, good or bad, as the world would define it. Number two, walking in the flesh, verse 5 through 8. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. Verse 6, for to be carnally minded is death, but the spiritually minded is life and peace. Letter A, our allegiance will affect our mind. In verse 5, we see the word mind used. If you're walking after the flesh, you do mind the things of the flesh. The spirit, then you're going to mind, and that word mind implied a second time the things of the spirit. You see, if you have an allegiance to the world, your mind will be affected by your allegiance to the world. And the mind is essentially what makes up your identity. The mind speaks to the heart. The mind speaks through the mouth. The mind commands the hands. The mind commands the feet. Yes, our heart should be affecting our mind. That is how it's intended to be when you connect with God and God speaks to the heart and the heart speaks to the mind. But here's the thing. If you're brain dead, you're not alive. The mind is what controls us. The mind needs to be influenced by this, definitely. But this also goes through the mind. The heart does not control the body outside of the mind. Even the heart, even in a godly way, even the heart must still operate through the mind. It is the heart influenced by God that should influence the mind. But the mind is what makes everything happen, good or bad. And if your allegiance is to the world, then your mind is going to be worldly. If your allegiance is to God, you will find your mind making better choices. You will find your mind knowing what to do, right and from wrong, and not struggling with this concept of, is this good for me? Your mind will know. Your mind will perform. Your mind will complete tasks that bring you success because your mind is on Christ because your allegiance is to Christ. If you struggle with the mind, 
if you're struggling with thoughts, if you're struggling with, with things going through your head that you know aren't good for you, you don't want to be there. Now, part of it is just the fact that you're a human, you live in sin, and you live in a body of sin, and you're going to be dealing with some of that curse. I'm not denying that, and you can't eliminate that completely, but there's a whole lot of things going in your mind that don't have to be there. You can at least limit it to a functional level where it's not driving you literally crazy. Where your mind is not so spiritually dark that, that you are concerned on a daily basis if you're even saved. If you want to get your mind under control, Romans chapter 8 gives us a hint on how to do that. Establish that you have a strong allegiance to God. Eliminate tradition. Eliminate philosophy. Eliminate likes and dislikes. Eliminate pleasures of this life desires and dreams, toss them all away and say, I'm going to start clean. I have full allegiance to God and let's see where that takes me. Let's see what dreams I get when my full allegiance is on Christ. Let's see what I actually like differently when I'm focused on Christ. Let's see what things I start to dislike when I'm focused on Christ. I'm not going to take my dreams and my focuses and my traditions to God and say, God, I've got all these things and I have allegiance to you. No, I'm going to leave them all behind. I come completely empty my allegiance is to you. What do you got for me? Let your mind be affected by your allegiance. Letter B. Those who refuse the grace of God become the enemy of God and will not benefit from the peace of God. Verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity or an enemy against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. If you're not with God, your efforts to obey the law are not subject to the law. You're an enemy of God even in your attempts to obey the Old Testament law because you're trying to do it outside of him. You are an enemy of God if you are not with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is with you when you accept Christ through faith. It's as simple as that. The problem is when you are an enemy of God, you don't receive the grace of God. The grace of God is offered not only eternally so that you are saved and will go to heaven. The grace of God takes place in your life now. There are so many benefits daily to being in the grace of God now, today, this week. It's not a matter of, oh, I get to go to heaven when I die. I get to live on this earth with Christ before I die. I get to go through this life with the Holy Spirit until I die. You see, grace is not purely eternal. Grace is even today, in this moment, bathing you, covering you. And one of the benefits of God's grace, when you are walking in the Spirit, when you are with the Spirit, is the offer of peace on your mind. That's one of the benefits. God wants to give you peace. With God's grace comes God's great peace. And then let her see. God is not pleased by our works, regardless of our motivation or our morality. I put a verse there in my notes, Isaiah 64, 6. We're not going to turn there. You can do so. I'll refer to it now. In that passage of Scripture, the Old Testament tells us that our righteousness, our best, our good, our perfect, you might say, is as filthy rags. It's a pretty common verse. It's pretty well known. But not often referred to when it comes to the gospel, especially by those who want to tell you that you're saved because of faith plus works well, then we're all in trouble because our best works are filthy rags. If our works have anything to do with saving us or keeping us saved, then we're all going to hell, myself included. 
You're not going to go to heaven. You're not going to stay saved because you're a good person. Your best is filthy rags. And now, number three, walking in the Spirit. In my introduction, I gave you the definition of walking in the Spirit, so you already have an idea what that is. It's not doing the works of the law. Doing the works of the law is walking in the flesh. Walking in the Spirit isn't what you do, it's who you're with. And here we are again in verse 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Walking in the Spirit is who you're with. Let's continue reading verse 9. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. You see, your salvation is not dependent on your good versus your bad. I did more good than I did bad. That's not what, mean, that, that's not what defines your salvation. It doesn't mean you are or are not saved. Those of you in this room who've accepted Christ by Savior but say, well, I can't be saved because I really messed up this week. You're going back to the balanced scale again. And you said, I did, did I do more good this last week than I did bad? If I did more good, that must mean I'm still saved. If I did bad, I guess I got to get saved again. And you're constantly evaluating your life based off of good and bad. That's going to drive you crazy. And it's not in the Bible. Those who are with the Spirit are saved. Period. Other parts of Scripture give us the details on how you are with the Spirit, including verse 1. We're with the Spirit because of Christ. And then other passages of Scripture tell us how that happens. By faith. Faith in Christ and only, only because of grace. You are not saved because of who you are or what you've done. You're not going to heaven because of your adherence to the Old Testament law. Salvation is given to you freely by grace. God loves you. He wants to give it to you. And you receive it by faith. Christ is enough. What Christ done has enough, has been enough, and I accept it purely, wholly for myself. You cannot accept it for anyone else. You cannot pray salvation on anyone else. And when you're saved, you are with Christ. Christ brings the Spirit to you, and you are now with the Spirit. And now, you're walking in the Spirit. Yes, you will still sin. Yes, you will still have that battle, but it is a battle that ultimately you will win. I'm not saying that every day you will win against sin. I am saying in the end, sin loses and everyone on Christ's side wins. That's what I'm saying. Letter B, salvation does not separate us from sin, but it does give us victory over it. Verse 10 and 11. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. You're still in a dead body. You're still in a sinful body. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Meaning this, if Christ was raised from the dead, perfect, then the Holy Spirit promises us the same thing. Like the Holy Spirit of God, it seems, in this passage, and there's others that allude to it, was involved in the resurrection of Christ, so will the Holy Spirit be involved in our resurrection. Not purely the Holy Spirit, Christ himself also, as a forerunner, will be involved in our resurrection. Because remember, the Trinity is one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So it makes sense that if one part of the Trinity is involved in our resurrection, all three parts of the Trinity are involved in our resurrection. And the Holy Spirit promises and guarantees that in the end, sin loses. It doesn't matter how many points sin racks up during the game. Because in the end, Christ says the final shot wins. He takes the ball, he shoots it, and you win. 
And if you're wearing his journey, jersey, excuse me, if you're wearing his jersey, you're on the winning side. See, a lot of you are very concerned about how many points sin is racking up in your life. 30 to 10, not that big of a difference when it's the first quarter, but the third quarter, it's now 500 to 40, and you're really concerned, and you're the 40, and sin is the 500. Going into the fourth quarter, and we're talking basketball here, going into the fourth quarter, sin now has almost 1,000 points, and you haven't broken 100, and you're saying, can I even be saved? And Christ says, don't worry, I've got this. You wearing my jersey? Yes, Christ, I'm wearing your jersey, but I'm really in, uh, you know, struggling. I'm really concerned because look at how many points sin has racked up during this four-quarter game. Christ says, the first four quarters don't matter. It's the final point that matters, and I'll shoot that for you. Amen. You have victory over sin, folks, because you're with the Holy Spirit. Now you say, that's great, but I sure would like to have a closer score than 1,000 to 90. Wouldn't we all? And you can you don't need to live this life knowing that the last point is what matters. Therefore, live how you want. The Apostle Paul said, God forbid you would have that kind of mindset. Knowing that in the end, you win. Knowing that the point system is really just smoke and mirrors anyways. There is no point system. Once you recognize that, you can stop worrying about making points. You can stop looking at the scoreboard and you can start focusing on the team and your coach. Be a player that listens to the coach. Be a player that works with the team. And you're going to enjoy the game a whole lot long, a lot better. The score will not cause you anxiety. The score will not discourage you. Because to you, it doesn't exist. Because you know it's the last point that matters. Enjoy the team. Listen to the coach. And you know what's funny about that? You won't look at the score, but if you were, the score won't be nearly as far apart as when you're focused on the score. The very effort of focusing on the score is what gives the other team advantage over you, and they start scoring more points. Listen to the coach, Christ. Work with the team, other Christians, and you're going to enjoy the game a whole lot more. You'll enjoy this life a whole lot more. And in the end, if you're wearing the right jersey, you win anyways. The victory is yours. Not because of what you did, but because of who you're with. Letter C. Those who walk in the Spirit do not obey the law out of obligation, but rather appreciation. Verses 12 and 13. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye lived after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. And again, there are those that would say, verse 13 is stating, when it mortifies the deeds of the body, it means stop sinning. In fact, that is what the Catholic monks believed hundreds of years ago. So much so, they literally gave all their possessions away, gave all their clothing away, had one piece of clothing, and some of them lived in caves their entire life, sang songs and copied scripture, thinking, if I mortify the deeds of my body, if I stop wanting to eat, if I stop wanting to uh, enjoy the pleasures of this life, either good or bad pleasures, doesn't matter, if I just don't do anything, just if I just live in existence, I mortify the deeds of my body, I am more likely to get to heaven, except the problem is, that's works of the flesh. It may seem good. It may seem moral. It may seem helpful. It's works of the flesh. Mortifying the deeds of your body, you can't do. Who can? The Holy Spirit, verse 13 tells us. 
It's mortified through the Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that will begin to sanctify your heart. It is the Holy Spirit that will do the work in your life and begin eliminating slowly over time the addictions and the the hold that sin has over you only to, at the very end, eliminate it completely. But until then, it will never be eliminated completely. And it is not you that will do the killing of sin in your life. It is the Holy Spirit that will do the killing of sin in your life when you just pay attention to the coach and focus on the team. The Holy Spirit starts to remove the grip of sin in your life. And you become a sanctified believer. Not a perfect believer, but a believer that over time looks more and more like the coach, Christ, and the team. Because for you, it's not about the score. It's about the team. God's kingdom. God himself. No one likes the guy or girl who pretends they're a one-man team. You know what's interesting about that person? They are usually focused on themselves, but you got to be honest, they're usually also very focused on winning. They care a lot about the score. And it results in them not being a team player. It almost always results in them being a one-man team. Christians who are focused on the score almost always become a one-man team. They're not focused on God's church or caring about God's church. It's about me getting to top. And if I have to step on other believers to do it, then I will do that. If I have to step on the world, well, who cares about them? I'm going to do that too. The Christian focus on the score almost inevitably becomes a one-man team. Join the team, God's team. Recognize the real victory is who you're with. Being on the team is the victory. And then ask yourself, how can I look more like this team, God's team? You do so by listening to the coach. When you do, you'll look more like him, and the Holy Spirit will do the work in your life. Christian, are you walking in the Spirit? You have to understand that phrase before you can answer it correctly. Now that you've been given the definition, what's your answer? Are you walking in the Spirit? I hope so. And if you are walking in the Spirit, do you understand? That means you're still going to sin. Does that bother you? I hope it does. It should bother you. If you're bothered by the fact that you still sin, then understand this. You will only be completely separated from sin in heaven. But you can have small victories over sin in this life if you stop paying attention to the score. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your people. I thank you for your word, for the passage of scripture for us this morning that defined better for us what we believe, who we are, who we are with, and why we are saved. I pray that for those in this room who still struggle with this concept that if I just do better, if I make better decisions, I will get saved and stay saved. I pray that you would help them see the fallacy of that belief. I pray that they would reflect inward and recognize they'll never be perfect no matter what they do. It's unattainable. It's a path that never ends. The victory is found in you. For those who are not with you, those who have not joined your team, I pray this morning they would recognize that is what's missing in their life, and that is what they would change. As your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I don't do this often, but it is the last Sunday of the year, and if I'm going to do it, I think this is a great time to do it.
If there's anyone in this room that says, Pastor Russ, I would like to talk to you before you leave today. I'm not going to pull you to the front. I'm not going to have you leave in the back. I'll see you, and I will come track you down, and we'll talk in my office. You say, Pastor Russ, I'm not saved, and I want to talk to you about that. If you'd like to raise your hand right now, I will make sure we have a conversation before you go home today. Is there anyone in this room that would like to talk about what salvation is and how to be saved before you leave today, before you end this year, 2023? That invitation doesn't end here, doesn't end today. Anytime you want to talk about salvation, how to be saved, I'm happy to have that with you. Lord, please keep your people safe as they move into this next year. And I pray that whatever it is we went through this year, 2023, would better prepare us for the next. In Jesus' name, amen. Before Pastor John comes up, there is one announcement I'd like to make. On January the 7th, which is next Sunday, not only do we have a guest speaker, Pastor Chris Atkinson, and looking forward to having him. He was uh, the pastor from 2000 to 2016. He's going to be speaking for us and giving us a, uh, an encouraging message on where Meriden Hills has come from. I told you guys last week, you may not know this, but Meriden Hills was founded in 1977. Uh, it's been around a long time. Our history is much longer than what you might know. And Pastor Atkinson is going to give us some of that history so that I think, I hope it paves the way for where God is taking us and where we'll be preaching through the rest of January. But after the service next Sunday, if you are working in Children's Church or would like to work in Children's Church, uh, please be ready for a meeting after the service upstairs. There will be a meeting regarding the children's uh, ministry, Sunday morning children's ministry, what that's looking like and how you can get better involved as a teacher, as a helper, as an assistant. So please plan on sticking around at the end of the service next Sunday, January 7th, if you're working with children. Pastor John.